Hey listeners, this is Loam editor Kailea Frederick. Thanks for tuning into Loam Listen with Emilio Freeman. To continue supporting us and showing up as an independent publishing and media company, we are asking for your support. If you enjoy our audio or publishing offerings, please consider visiting our Patreon where you can become a Loam member. For as little as $4 a month, you will receive a monthly curated missive that includes early access to all our publications and products, along with first calls for submissions and other small gifts. Find us at patreon.com slash loamlove. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hi, Loam listeners. I'm Amiria Freeman, and you're listening to Loam Listen, your home for playful, juicy conversations on how we can reimagine the ways we live and relate to each other to survive and thrive within and beyond this moment. Every episode, join me and heartful, spirit-forward guests to learn how we can create the loamy soil from which new worlds can bloom. In this episode, you'll be hearing from Michelle Liu. Raised by Chinese Malaysian immigrants in New York City and Philadelphia and now residing in DC, Michelle is an East Coast baby who is grounded by eating good food and building expansive networks of care. They are a queer and leftist trainer, educator, and doula, and they like to ask good questions, listen, and make art. Michelle and I take a deep dive into their experiences as an abortion doula. In our conversation, we situate the work of abortion doulas within a long history of communities innovating systems of care work. We unpack the link between abortion access and diverse movements for liberation and so much more. Get ready to dive in. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to Lone Listen. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Oh my gosh, same. And I'm honestly so thrilled to be having this conversation with you around your experience being an abortion doula. And I know we've had some back and forth preparing for this conversation. And I think we're both really interested in moving away from sort of the political hotbed crucible that abortion is sort of set in. And we're really moving towards how do we situate abortion dealership, abortion within a legacy of care and showing up for each other. So I'm so excited to be talking about this with you and talking through your experiences. But before we get started, I just want to start here. Who are you and what do you do? Just introduce yourself to the audience really quickly. Um, yeah, so... I'm Michelle. I use they, them pronouns, currently living in D.C. Um, or the lands of the Nakatong, Pamunkey, and Piscataway people. I've been here for like four years, and um, it's really where my doula journey came about. Um, yeah, I am an abortion doula, a volunteer with the D.C. Doulas Collective, D.C.D.C., um, and I, I love the way that you framed like the work of abortion dueling, um, because I just think about it as like the way that I use like empathy, patience and compassion to support others. I'm like, oh, yes, I'm really good at those skills. And I'm really grateful that I'm able to um, channel that in my abortion work. Um, 
I'm also a disgruntled nonprofit worker. I like thought about this a lot. I was like, I could name like where I work, what I do, but honestly, I'm always disgruntled. I'm always trying to organize my coworkers. Um, love to my current coworkers who I'm currently trying to bargain a first contract with. Um, yeah, and then lastly, uh, I was just also shared that I'm just a plant lover. Like um, something I'm trying to do is move into herbalism. Um, I think just as in the abortion work, like moving away from politics and more towards the skills that we need to work with each other. I'm thinking a lot about movement work um, and trying to leave like, I think some of the advocacy work that I'm in and more into like um, developing like organizing skills, community building skills. Um, so that's where I'm at in my journey right now. Lots of transitions, um, but an abortion doula, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. And I just want to say for the audience's benefit, if I seem like really excited to have Michelle on, it's because it's so palpable. Um, Michelle and I years ago did the same um, hunger focus fellowship. We're in different cohorts, um, but I did meet them through that experience. And I'm just so deeply in awe of all the work that they do. And I'm just so, so grateful to be holding space with you and to be talking about all of this. Um, and I love how you framed abortion within the spectrum of how we can be in deeper relationship with each other. I think that's so interesting to think of abortion being one tool of many from patience to empathy to respect to kindness, like all of these things um, and divorcing it from sort of this broader public conversation. And I think this starts off, I just want to do some level setting. So can you just broadly define what does it mean to be an abortion doula and what is the context for that kind of work? And where does that dueling sort of sit within the broader spectrum of reproductive health care? Okay. Yes. Love a big question. Um, yeah. Okay. So I can share to my understanding because of course, like birth work, like precedes so many of us and I could never be like, this is what it is. Um, but the abortion work that I do um, is in the context of, um, yeah, I guess the present day, which is that it's really hard to get an abortion and it's even harder to get compassionate care when, when you need one or when you're getting one. And so, yeah, so being a doula is a, um, it's just what I see it as, just like a support person for someone going through anything in like the reproductive process. So it could be birth, it could be like post-birth or an abortion or miscarriage. And so for me, I think I see like um, being a doula for all those things. It's like acknowledging that like that is the full cycle of our reproductive like life. And so an abortion doula specifically <clears throat> supports people during their abortion. I mostly support folks um, who have first semester abortions, which look like uh, first trimester abortions, which look really specific. Um, our collective of doulas, we partner with clinics so that we're able to show up in those spaces um, with care providers. And because usually if you're getting abortion, like a first trimester abortion, you like go to the clinic and then it's like a doctor, some nurses and an anesthesiologist and they do their thing. And with us, we add an extra person, the doula, who's able to really provide like emotional support for the person during their procedure because everyone else is like focused on the body in a really like disembodied way. Um, 
yeah, I don't know if you've ever been to the doctor and you're like, hello, can someone talk to me? <laughs> like, that's the moment that we try to really address. Um, because at the end of the day, it's like about the person who's going through the thing. Like we're doing this because of this person. So we should be there for them and really honor them and their whole selves. Um, so yes, okay, so that's the context of like how it looks like. Um, and so like when I'm actually on my shift, like what it looks like is just, I usually only get to meet patients like for about like maybe 10 minutes before like the whole medical like crew comes in. It's, the, it's like that minute where they like, um, they tell you to get into the room, like take off your clothes and then like wait there in that cold room by yourself for a while. So I go in there, I make some small talk. Um, like so much of being in a doula is just like asking people like, so like, how are you? What did you eat? Like um, noticing if they might have kids, asking them about it or like um, any kind of small talk. And in that moment, um, it's my job just to evaluate like what's going on. Um, are they feeling nervous or are they, do they feel fine? Sometimes I don't even talk to the person cause they're like, I don't really, I don't need that right now. And, um, and then I just, you know, I just stand aside. And the procedure itself is usually like 10 minutes or so, like 10 or 15 minutes. So it's super quick. And sometimes the patient is awake. Um, and that's when I think the doula is more active. Um, because it's, it is a pretty like uncomfortable like procedure, although it's only like 10 minutes and not everyone even has to go like under for it. But in those moments, um, yeah, I feel like my job is really just to be present with the person as they're going through it. And so I really lean on working with them on the breathing or just like having them like look at me. It's like, you know, like everything is fine. We just gotta look at each other and get through these five minutes together. I think that's definitely where like I've just like grown a lot in my confidence to be able to feel like I can make someone feel better. Although like the thing that they have to do, it still has to happen. Like this uncomfortable thing still has to happen. But like, um, but my job is to make it so that, um, yeah, so that they just still don't feel alone in that whole process. And it's really interesting too, because the other reason why we have doulas part, or I mean, I think doulas and birth workers existed like before like doctors, hospitals, medical, industrial complex. Um, and, um, and in the introduction of those things, we just lost like birth workers, like support people, like in the hospitals and stuff. Um, and so like the other reason why we're there is because literally no one else in that room like is paying attention to the emotional like um, state of that person. And sometimes the medical staff can be kind of like, um, like microaggressive, right? <laughs> We've had several, like all the time doctors are like, um, I'm so sorry you have to go through this right now. Or like they make a lot of assumptions about the patient. Um, and honestly, it's not my job to talk back at the doctor because I'm not trying to get anyone kicked out, <laughs> but it's my job to make the patient like just see where they're at, you know, because sometimes the patient laughs with them like, ha ha ha, like this is just a joke, whatever. Um, but then sometimes they're uncomfortable and I just have to find a way. It's kind of like that um, like bystander intervention. I'm like, okay, I could like put my body in between the doctor and the patient so that the patient can't really see the doctor or I could just like make side eyes at the patient so the patient knows that they're not the only one experiencing this weird thing. Um, 
but yeah, I guess that's like another reason I think why we have birth workers or doulas. Um, it really is in response to how, um, I don't know how like um, our like medical like healthcare workers like are not set up to provide this kind of care because we don't really value it. And that's not to say that all healthcare workers are like that, like obviously shout out to our healthcare workers, <laughs> but I think there's like a special thing about just prioritizing someone's like emotional um, state in these moments. Um, yeah, and yeah, okay, yeah. I will leave it there for now. <laughs> no, thank you so much for that overview. And I think what's most striking about me are just sort of um, how doing this work just like equips you with so many tools again. Like I heard you mention certain things about how this is almost like, a practice and like presence and a practice and meeting people where they are and approaching people who are getting this procedure done um, from a place of like, I'm not judging you. I just want to meet you where you are, show up for you and provide care in whatever way that means for you, whether it's talking to you, not talking to you, um, holding your hand, engaging in small talk, intervening, um, when something happens with like um, a medical staff here. So I think that's so interesting and so fascinating. And a part of like this experience that I think is often erased from public conversations around abortion and everything that goes into that medical procedure. But I want to dive into that a little bit more deeply later on. But I want to backtrack a little bit and can you walk us through that journey of you deciding this is something that I want to do and pursue? Um, and um, I, yeah, what compelled you to sort of be like, this is one of many ways that I want to show up for people in my community, show up for people um, who can get pregnant? Yeah, like why, what was that journey and what did it look like for you? Yeah, thanks for pulling me back to my origins. <laughs> Um, it started in college. I was a, um, a peer educator for this wellness center on campus. And um, we actually started this really cool program. It's called the IU Doula program, which is where um, it was like the first year we're on campus. They were doing um, like finally doing IUD insertions on campus. So you can just like book an appointment, go downstairs, get an IUD in an afternoon. Um, which is a game changer for like seniors in college who did not know if they were going to continue having health insurance or not after they graduated. Um, but when they started that program, um, the students proposed having maybe support people while students get um, their IUD inserted um, because like you're awake during it, it's kind of uncomfortable. And, um, and I think at that time it was like, I don't, I'm not sure if it was just me, but I felt like, um, it was my first time hearing about doulas and all of a sudden like everyone was talking about doulas on campus and it was like so cool. I think partly it was probably because um, I know the doula project in New York, uh, which is like a like badass group of volunteer doulas who've come together to create this, um, this full spectrum like doula services for, um, and they do like sliding scale and everything but they had just like launched all this stuff. And so maybe that's why we were talking about it on campus so much. Um, but yeah, but I first became a doula for students on campus who were getting their IUDs inserted. And, um, and it was really cool. Um, I got to like be there for some of my friends while they um, 
like got their procedures done. And it really showed me that like everyone just responds so differently to like the same thing. Like one person after the procedure was like, oh my God, like, can I hop off now? I got to go like take a shit. (laughs) And then like other people are like, can I just sit here for like half an hour? I like can't move, you know, like it's too much. Um, It's just, I think it was just funny. And I, I think at then, like, I just, um, I just really love like being able to be present with people and responding to them in those ways. I feel like it's like the easiest way for me to be present is to be like with other people. Um, but yeah, so that was my first experience dueling. And then after college, I like did a year long fellowship, the one that Amiro mentioned and the second half landed me in DC. And so, um, and so, yeah, so when I like moved here, I, really made an intention to try to find community, to like, um, to just, yeah, be a part of community in DC. And, you know, it's like a new person. I'm like, I just want to be grounded. Where's everyone? And so one of the, um, I think one of the guiding things that I looked into was birth work and doula-ing. Um, so the, actually the first thing that I looked into was um, with was birth doula-ing, which I think is like much more popular. And I took a class and I was completely overwhelmed. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> births are like, you know, like people that have birth, like can, um, could be in, um, what is that word called? In labor um, for like two hours or for like two days. And I just was not ready to be on call like that. I like was looking for a job. Um, it also feels like because it's, um, it's not part of like the medical, like industrial complex. And because, um, yeah, like, you know, people aren't just hiring doulas left and right, um, or hospitals aren't, that for a lot of folks to become a doula, like you have to start your own business. Like you have to, like, you basically become an entrepreneur selling your services. And I was not ready for that. I was like, okay. (laughs) Um, And so I think I was just feeling really overwhelmed, but through that program, I had learned about the DC Doulas Collective, which um, specifically provides abortion services in DC. And I was like, ooh, this sounds really cool. Applied for a training that year. And, um, and that's how I got onto it, basically. Because um, the training, it was like, over three days and half of it was about like the abortion procedure, which I honestly like only remember some of it. It's like, don't ask me about the, like <laughs> the specifics about the procedure. I'm not a doctor. Uh, but the other half of it was on um, like emotional support skills. And so we did like a lot of role-playing um, like common refrains that people have when they come into the clinic because it is such a politicized thing. Um, a lot of folks like come to the clinic and it's like the first time that they're like able to like really talk about what's happening or like, um, or maybe it just finally hits you when you get to the clinic. But, um, but we do do a lot of just like um, supporting people while they're just like, like processing their abortion um, in the clinic as well. And, um, and yeah, so that's like, a lot of the training was about that. Um, the other cool thing about the training is that there is a real focus on reproductive justice and on um, just like the history of how nasty and racist um, like birth, like reproductive stuff um, has been. Yeah, I don't know. I think that that's so important, obviously. Um, 
um, yeah, so that's, that's how I came into it. I did that training like two years ago. And, um, and so it's like an all volunteer collective where, um, once you're trained and on board, um, then you can sign up for shifts because like, basically we've partnered with two different clinics in DC. Um, and what that looks like, it's honestly like for any one who's living in an area without, um, like a doula collective, but there are like abortion clinics. Like a lot of times how these come together is just like a couple of abortion doulas are like, we should do this. Let's go like talk to these doctors <laughs> and, um, and over years build that relationship where they then would like invite you into their like clinic or practice. Um, I think there is a lot of like access, like issues around that, but, but that's how we formed. It, it was just like, folks who just went up to clinics and were like, we think that this service would be really helpful and we can provide it. Um, and it's come to a point where the doctors really appreciate us because, um, because if you have a patient who's kind of like upset, like the doctors don't have to deal with them. I'm like putting air quotes on. <laughs> um, and they can defer like that emotional labor to someone else, which is like us, I guess. And um yeah, so that's how the clinic works. And so I try to volunteer like once or twice a month. Um, I haven't during pandemic, but I just got my first vaccine dose. So I'm really hoping to get back out in the clinics next month. Oh, I love that. And again, I'm really latching on to the part of that journey where like, you're learning more about the emotional support side of everything. And I think this is such a good segue. I'm so curious to know how has doing this work prepared you for this moment? Because, um, you know, throughout COVID, especially 2020, at the beginning of it, um, here in the U.S., I think so many of us felt like, wow, we are being cradled by a governmental structure that is probably not doing all that it can to support people during such a harmful, violent moment. And so, so many of us just like found ourselves like stretching beyond our usual limitations to like learn and really think through how do I do my best to show up not only for myself, but show up for other people because so many of like these institutional mechanisms are just not cutting it and providing the level and scope of support so many of us need right now. Um, so I know so many people and you probably as well who like started mutual aid efforts or just like took extra time to like donate and check in on people. And again, I think we all just had to like really scramble to like really remember and come back to a place of like, oh, this is how I show up for myself and other people for my community in these really robust substantive ways. And I'm really curious to know how has being an abortion doula informed your knowledge and epistemologies around community, around care, around thriving, around surviving outside of like the surveillance of like these broader institutions? What have been like some of those lessons and skills that you've picked up that have really prepared you for being in this moment? Um. Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm thinking so much from this question. Actually, I think there's two specific things. Um, I think one to your question around like, what skill have I really like grounded in um, is I think it's around this piece around being non-judgmental and just acknowledging that people are where they are. Um, I feel like this has come up so much in pandemic when like, um, 
you know, when the actions of other people really impact you or, and like where, like, um, in a pandemic where, um, the stakes are so high where like someone else's decision, like feels like, I don't know, like it really impacts you. So right now I'm thinking about how I've been moving through, like, um, just like knowing different people in my community who are like not interested in getting vaccinated right now or like afraid of it or, um, and, um, and it's only like a couple of people and like, um, and they're like really close people to me. And every time it like comes up, I, I think about how, um, it should never be on one person's decision, like where it would be a make or break on like, if like, um, if we would survive this pandemic or like, if like, um, I would never blame a person for not doing that thing. Um, and I think it's like my work in abortion work, like just makes me think of that. It's like people come to it for so many different reasons. Like folks come to it and hate that they have to do it. Or like folks don't think twice about it. Like I got my vaccine. I didn't really think twice of it, but I know for some people that's, that's not the truth. Um, especially if you have like extra health stuff and you don't even really know, you know, I don't know. I really, really get that. And so I just feel like I have a lot of like grounding and like, um, I don't know, just like not judging people <laughs> where, like where they're at or how they're coming to their truth. Um, because I think the other piece is like, I see the bigger shit that's actually the issue. It's like never on this one person and their decision, but like um, the bigger shit is like, why are we like, why are we still in this pandemic? We could have been out of it a year ago if we really shut down or like um, really paid people to like stay home or like take care of themselves. Um, and so, yeah, so that, I think that piece just, I think, I think I've just, it, that's just come up so much on how we respond to people in our community when they're like, um, yeah, okay. When they just arrive differently to like, to decisions. And then the second piece, I think, again, to that, like, the bigger shit of why we're in this shit, <laughs> I hope it's okay to curse. <laughs> um, yes, um, I feel so lucky that I have been in community and, like, working with networks of people in D.C. who have already been trying to do the work of, like, meeting people's needs when our government fails us, which is every single day. <laughs> um, I actually pulled up this this quote from Dean Spade um, in his mutual aid book that I feel like really just describes like what's happening right now or like why, like why this work is so like, okay, I'm just going to read it. <laughs> so he says that mutual aid is collective coordination to meet each other's needs, usually from an awareness that the systems we have in place are not going to meet them. In this context of social isolation and forced dependency on hostile systems, mutual aid where we choose to help each other out, share things, and put time and resources into caring for the most vulnerable is a radical act. So what I love about this is that he acknowledges that like we do this work because the system is failing us and so we have to. Like, um, and it's not even about trying to get the system to perfectly work or, or like trying to fill in the gap. It's about creating a literally a new system where we don't even have to depend on others or like the government or like some external force to take care of ourselves. Um, and I feel like that's what a lot of folks in DC have been doing. Or, um, so I've mentioned the DC Doulas Collective, which provides like free services, like, um, and it's like, right, this kind of emotional support 
that is not usually offered or given in the hospital setting. And the other group that I've been working a lot with is um, the DMV Abortion Practical Support Network, or DAPSIN for short. Um, we love an acronym in DC. <laughs> Um, they act, we actually came out of the doulas collective because um, as doulas, like our patients ask us all the time for like rides or like um, if someone can watch their kid while they're like in their procedure or like um, there's so many barriers like we know to like actually getting to the clinic. And, um, and it's a little bit tricky to be like um, the abortion, I meant the doula um, person and to also provide rides and stuff because it's it's outside of our role and like, it might be weird if something happens and then all of a sudden it's like the collective's fault versus just like, I was just an individual trying to do something nice <laughs> um, and, and, and shit happens, right? But that's not how the law works. And so, um, and so we started organizing volunteers outside of the doula collective who, who are down just to give, give rides to people to the clinic, um, especially because in DC, or in the U.S., there's only a handful, maybe like six clinics that do abortions after like the first trimester or second. Oh. <laughs> and two of them are in the DMV area. And so a lot of people from out of state travel to D.C., like from the south, from the Midwest, like from like from north, everywhere. And so we just have a lot of folks who need to ride from the airport to the clinic because, you know, like um, maybe you were able to get an abortion fund to pay for your abortion, but it's like that last mile that the um, that Dapsin really comes through. Like either we we have volunteers who offer like a bedroom um, or rides and stuff, and um, so that's something we already did. And I've always thought like the work we do is so radical because like it's a bunch of volunteers and we're like supporting folks who we don't know who we are claiming as part of our community, even though they're like you know, maybe they don't, they're not from DC or whatever, like people moving out of state, but like we're claiming them as people who still are like, that we should care for. Um, and this past year has been interesting because we've all been so afraid of what this pandemic has meant for abortion access because states were so ready to be like, oop, like gotta shut things down, gotta shut down these pathways to abortions because pandemic, whatever. So fake, because <laughs> they did not shut down other stuff. Um, but we seriously started thinking about like how we could support folks who are maybe doing at-home abortions or like, um, because there are two main ways you can get an abortion. Um, it's like through a procedure, like uh, what I described in the clinic, or just through like um, through taking um, like drugs, these pills. And a lot of times, like doctors will prescribe you the pill and you go home and you take it. Um, and that's another place where you can doula someone because um, because it's like maybe like forty eight hours where you're experiencing like intense cramping and bleeding, um, and also just being like, what's going on? <laughs> um, but this year we've just we've just thought so much about how um I think it's just really challenged us to take the abortion outside the clinic even because because of pandemic it's like more dangerous to leave your home but also knowing that like it's only the law that's preventing people from being able to access this in their house is ridiculous but this year I think has made us realize that we have the skills and the networks to provide people to do that if they need it to. And that's so important. <laughs> or like, I think those 
things that don't always feel, um, I think it just felt like it's become more urgent that we have that kind of skill and that we're ready to provide support in that way if when, when and if needed. The other cool thing is that abortion is like not a single issue issue. Like it's an economic justice issue. It's like a racial justice issue. Um, and this is like deeply understood, I think, in like the abortion work that communities that I'm a part of. Um, and so when the like Black Lives Matters like uprisings were happening last summer in June, um, we were thinking so much about how we could su um, support like protesters during that time or like, um, I think this challenged us even to think about, it was just a moment where we were like, okay, actually, yeah, like we have this infrastructure where we have a base of volunteers who are down to give people rides at any moment. Like, like we could really like think about this or like um, we could really, um, yeah, I don't know, like mobilize folks in that, in that way. Um, and, and it's also like an opportunity to engage our volunteers who are mostly like, um, like wealthy white women or white women who have the resources to be able to provide rides and housing to folks. Um, it's a moment to engage them on all these other issues to be like, you know, like um, if you show up at the abortion clinic, you gotta show up at these things as well because it's, it's the same issues, like different sides of the same coin. Um, and so then we just started building a lot more relationships with other, um, other organizers in DC. And I feel like that's, that's something that's still trying to like growing or like, um, this pivotal moment where we're like, what we need to do really is like build stronger networks and communities so that we can mobilize if something happens, but like, um, but it's never just about like an issue. Like um, we're not just doulas. It's like, we are like the full intention is to like, right, provide care for the most vulnerable. Um, and so that means you're right, like, we're not just doulas. Like we gotta be here for the movement in all these different ways. Um, so yeah, so I think that's like a couple of different ways. I feel like that's showed up this past year. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you for all of that. I feel like you gave us so much to chew on but I'm so happy that you brought up the idea of abortion not being just a single issue issue. And when I was like doing some prep for this conversation, I was just like, oh, holy shit. Like there's so much I don't know about abortions and abortion access, who has them, for what reasons, all of that. And I was really interested in this fact sheet I found from Advancing New Standards Reproductive Health. And I learned a lot about how denying women abortion creates economic hardship and insecurity, which can last for years. And on that fact sheet, they cite a really specific study and it says, being denied an abortion lowered a woman's credit score, increased women's amount of debt, and increased the number of their negative public financial records, such as bankruptcies and evictions. And for me, I was like, whoa, like really clearly this issue, abortion access is so directly tied to economic security um, and just like anything related to that. Um, and I just want to like quickly note that not only women just get abortions, um, I just want to call that out. Um, so like you mentioned, abortion is so intersectional and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more deeply about how intersectional it is. Like where is abortion in our conversation around climate, around race, around gender? Um, and you sort of brought this idea that, you know, do being an abortion doula, uh, an abortion doula exists within 
this spectrum of like tools and skill sets are sort of developed out of these larger systems that have failed us and that have even foreclosed a lot of our futures. So I'm also wondering um, how does abortion access fit in within that legacy? Like how has the system failed us when it comes to providing really robust reproductive health care for people who can get pregnant? So there's a lot in that question, but however you want to approach it and take it, um, yeah. Um, yes. Wow, wow, wow. Um, I feel like all those stats you just listed about how terrible it is to deny people abortions, holding that while also knowing that is a terrible place to be a parent, especially like a mother in America, like um, in that like we right? Like you have a baby, you gotta go back to work. Like you have a baby no one guarantees it's going to help you take care of it or have health insurance even. And I feel like in those ways we can easily see why it's like an economic justice issue. It's like, why do like women, trans or non-binary people are like the most, like experience the biggest wage gaps, like are in jobs that don't have benefits and salaries. Um, and now we're trying to like not let them get abortions either. Like, we just want people to die. I feel like it's what that equation equals to. Um, and that brings me to being like, why do we care so much about controlling birth or reproductive like things? And something I've been like, like learning or thinking more about is um, just like, of course the stakes are high under capitalism where we are valuable if we're workers, if we're like contributing and like, my job as a person with a uterus is to produce more workers. And so like, in a way I'm like, okay. Cause you know, I'm like, why do they care so much? And I'm like, okay, it's, it's like, um, because in our society, it's like, we really see people as like, you're only worthy if you're like productive, if you're like, you know, like adding to a thing and like people with uteruses should be making babies like workers for a workforce. And what another thing that's coming to me, um, I'm thinking about how abortions is like not the only way that people or like abortion through the clinic or through whatever. It's not the only way that the end of births happen. Um, I think about how like, um, right, like maternal mortality rates are so high for like black women or like people who are escaping climate like crises, like in Bangladesh and other places, um, like what's happening to those babies, right? Or um, like a lot of folks who get abortion procedures, sometimes it's um, it's a miscarriage. It's like, um, it's the same procedure because it's the same thing that's happening. It's like expelling the situation. But, um, and I think we don't know a lot about like why miscarriages happen or like who do they like um, disproportionately like impact. Right, like we know so much about climate crises, things that right poison people's like waters or like um, like cause infertility. Like there's so many ways that we limit reproductive freedoms for people before even arriving at the clinic. Um, and I think that's what's really important to hold in mind. Um, I don't know. They they don't want you to think about all that. They want you to just think about the clinic. <laughs> And then they got you like protecting and defending this clinic when the clinic is also kind of a gatekeeper of who gets abortions. Um, it's such, it's so, it's so confusing. Like, I feel like we just have to remember that um, at the end of the day, it's about people's freedoms 
to move, to stay where they are, to do what they want with their bodies, um, to not have to be productive members of society. Um, I think I was getting in that rant about people as workers. It's like really understanding abortion issue as like a capitalism issue. And like, I think we're starting to understand the ways of how like racialized capitalism impacts us. Um, and it's the same way, like, um, or yeah, like when, it, you know, we could talk about um, from the level of like, um, access to abortions for like poor people or for people um, for marginalized people is like so much worse than for others. But we can also just talk about like um, what babies are protected like in general, like before, right before we even talk about access. Um, Yeah. Okay. I guess that's like, that's one of the rants I was thinking about. It happens before the clinic. Like we're controlling people's bodies before we even get there. Um, Yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah. (laughs) No, I think that's such a great call out. Just thinking about what happens when the babies get here and thinking through how reproductive justice like has to involve sort of like the full like spectrum of life. Like you just can't care about the baby when it's being subsumed within the cradle of the body like what happens when the baby's here and what happens when the baby isn't a white cis straight man who comes from a wealthy family like what are those protection safeguards like how are you providing for every single baby every single person um who's living um so i think it's such a powerful call out and um you brought up just the body and autonomy. And I'm curious to know, just in general, what's sort of like your prayer for how we all can relate to our bodies and how we all can relate to our sense of autonomy? Um, I think fundamentally, that's what so much of what these public fights about abortion are about. It's all about the body, who has control over bodies, access to them, autonomy over them. Um, what are your hopes and wishes for how we all can sort of be in relationship to just like the homes that are our bodies? Mm. Yeah, this is so good. Um, I, my prayer is, um, I never use this word. I'm like, I'm not sure if this is correctly, <laughs> but um, yeah, like what I hope for people um, is that we are all like able to listen to our pleasures, like what makes us feel good, like what we want, like um, just the feeling of like, what do I want right now? Um, and then be able to act from it. Like it's not um, not make it weird. I mean, to be able to act with it with, with responsibility, obviously, but like, um, yeah, when people just be like, mm, interesting, like I'm kind of desiring something weird, like, you know, and it's fine, like just do you. Um, uh, um, yeah, I feel like the moment that someone tells you that, you know, whatever you want or desire is weird or like, I don't know, like limiting you, like, um, cause I, I think I think about why like, like gender is so, I think recently I've been thinking about like why it's so powerful for people to claim their gender, like to be like, um, as a non-binary person, 
Like I have thought a lot about like my gender, like what makes sense, what feels good. And I remember like in my process to claiming, um, actually I always say MB cause I think it's cuter on the baby, baby. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember my process coming to it being like, I don't know, like the only reason why I want to do this is because I want to, like, there's no, like, um, I just felt like I kept searching for like, um, an answer, like, like, you know, I, I'll read a thing and I'll be like, oh, it's because like you are this and this, and that's why you're an NB or something like that. But at the end of the day, it really was just because like, this is what really feels right to me. And like, I really hate like, um, other things right now. Um, and I don't know, I feel like it was really powerful, but also really, um, I don't know, weird to be like, okay, I'm going to do this thing just because I want it. And it feels right. And it doesn't hurt anyone else. Like that's it. Um, I feel like that's the energy that like, I would love like for us all to have about everything. Like, um, like right now I, I realized the only thing I want in life right now is a baby. <laughs> I'm like, I don't care if I buy a house. Like, um, you know, I have like my friends, like, you know, our futures, like it'll be interesting how things shake out. But like, the only thing I know for sure is that I want a baby and there's literally no other reason than it just feels right. And I really hope that I, um, I'm able to like do that. Like, but I feel like the barriers to it is like financial barriers or like people being like, are you ready? You're so young or like, I don't know, all these things that tell me that the simple desire that I have is like not right. Um, yes, okay, that's the, that's the thing. <laughs> I love that and I can't wait to see this future baby come into the world. I'll be waiting with bated breath. <laughs> But I just want to end here because I think it's such an interesting experience. But in past conversations, you've talked about how you've had experiences as an abortion doula um, doing that work with folks who speak Chinese. And I think that's such a beautiful and just like unique, like representation of care that I really haven't heard too much about or seen represented. And um, I think it's especially so critical to talk about, especially in this moment of like really heightened um, API violence. And um, I just think it's so important to like lift up those moments of like care, especially um, inter-community care. Um, so what was that experience like? I'd love to learn more about it to close this out. Yeah, thanks for asking me about that. Um... Yeah, because it was such a pivotal moment for me too. Um, okay, the scenario is I show up to the clinic and everyone is like, there's a patient here. We have no idea what language she speaks. Like, we don't know what to do, basically. Um, and it turns out she speaks Cantonese, um, which is like a very popular language. <laughs> I think I was just shocked that every, I was like, what is this obscure language everyone's talking about in the office? Um, and no shade to the office because they're hella competent with like Spanish speaking workers. Um, but, but yeah, but there's no like Asian workers in, in the office. And this is a clinic in Fairfax. So there's like a lot of like Asian and Latinx immigrants. Um, but anyways, like to my surprise, I go and 
I going into the room to talk to this patient, I did not know what language she spoke because no matter what language people speak, we like go into the room and um, I do my very best of Spanish and I really get away with it. But like, if it's another language, um, you know, it's like smiles and like, you know, there's so many ways to communicate that's like um, not just speaking or like, but yes, I was lucky. She spoke Cantonese. I was like, oh my God, hello. I feel like we both were like, oh my God, hello. <laughs> like, you know, that like breath. Um, and I mean, she wasn't that enthused because of the stressful day, but <laughs> it was like a little like moment of relief. And it was a pivotal moment for the both of us because as we're talking, um, I could tell that she was really nervous, but like also didn't really um, say that much. And so I was just like, just kind of like taking her cue and just like going with her. Um, I was telling her that this is my first time like talking about abortions with someone in Chinese because I've never talked to anyone in my family about it. And, um, and she was like, oh my gosh, like this is my first time talking about it with someone other than my husband. Um, and I was like, dang, um, you know, like, how is that? How are you? And she goes into saying like, um, I really don't want this abortion. I'm only having it because... Um, because I already have two babies. She, what she literally said was like, I have two babies and I only have two arms. Like when I go to the grocery store, like I can't have a third baby. Um, and that was her reasoning. It was like so heartbreaking, um, especially because then she also shared that she's in Virginia with her husband because her husband found like a new job. And so she had to leave like um, their family, their in-laws in Philly, which is where they're from, which is another fun connection because I'm also from Philly. Um, but they had to leave for that job. But even in Philly, they were like, like new there. Like, um, I think they had recently immigrated from somewhere to Philly, but then had to leave Philly for this job in Virginia. And so she's like, I have no one to help me out and I don't have anyone to talk to. Um, and, but, in those moments we were talking and it was just so like, um, I don't know, I feel like it was just like a really like calm and quiet moment. At the end, she just like thanked me for like, um, for talking, um, that was really it. Like, it wasn't like monumental for anyone besides the, the fact that we both had just spoken Chinese about abortions. Um, and I was just thinking about how like, this is such an experience of like, immigrant women and like um just like the isolation you feel because of jobs like so many people live so far like even if it's like we're not even talking about like documentation and papers we're just talking about people trying to find jobs <laughs> um like um yeah like my family only like moved to Philly overnight because we like lost a job in New York and like um and then all of a sudden we're like from Philly or like and like also similarly like did not know really like many people. Um, and like, luckily there was like an immigrant enclave that like we quickly became a part of. <laughs> but I think um, in this moment, like um, of like anti-Asian violence or whatever, like I'm thinking about how isolating it is, it can be for like immigrant women in general, like to be um, 
to be in jobs where like people don't give a fuck about you or like um, to not have the community to like to really be able to talk through these things with. And then to be isolated because of jobs and economic issues. Like she was in this bumblefuck Virginia because of this random job her husband got. And she can't even have this other baby like because of this like lack of job or this new job or whatever. Um, But that is to say that as right now, I feel like a lot of attention is on like racism against like Asian people, um, which is so true. Like racism is so real, um, but we're not talking about like how the state is constantly like killing us, (laughs) Um, you know, by making people like um, move, do ridiculous things to keep a job or like, yeah, do ridiculous things just to like be able to care for yourself and your baby. Um, like, I don't know, like our people are in these really vulnerable jobs and places because of our, like, of how we set up, like our government is set, like set up our jobs. Like, um, so yeah, so I guess I'm thinking about that. <laughs> um, but also like, you know, all this shit sucks, but like, um, it's so powerful just to connect with someone on such a like, um, I don't know, a deep level, even if only for 10 minutes, like it really, I think it really means a lot to like, um, yeah, I don't know, despite like in all this hard stuff, I think that um, just really connecting with people and like, I don't know, just sharing heart to hearts. <laughs> um, I don't know, I'm like, there's this, there's an answer here somewhere. <laughs> Like that moment didn't change anything, you know, for either of us, but, um, but it meant a lot to me. I don't know. I don't know what it meant for her, obviously, but like, um, but I feel like, yeah, I don't know. There's something there in these little moments that we connect. (laughs) No, I love that. And I think like just those moments of like bearing witness to someone and like really bearing witness to them and being like, oh, like. I see so much of myself in you. Like, I think that in and of itself is like such a powerful thing. And um, just like a micro practice that I think if we did more would be so profound on like such a macro scale. So I think that's so just gorgeous and such a beautiful note to end on. But Michelle, thank you so much again for just like, your wisdom and words and I'm sure like everyone listening to this are going to be like I love them so much they fucking just like blew my mind and like made me cry and just like I don't know be feel more deeply connected to themselves and their bodies and other people um before we close out what are some good um resources for folks who may be interested in starting their own journey with becoming an abortion doula um, this is a good question. It's so hard. I would recommend that um, radical doula zine that um, that I had recommended to you, Amirio. It's the radical doula zine by Miriam Zola Perez, who actually is based in the DMV. Um, so that's cool. Um, I feel like in their zine, they like delineate a little bit about how like different collectives form. Um, so if you're in DC, the DC Doulas Collective is actually running a training next month. So I would just Google DC Doulas Collective. It should come up. Um, otherwise, I would just, you know, do a little Google in your, in your area to see if there is a doula collective that forms. If not, you got to form it yourself. <laughs> um, and I think the really radical thing about 
at being an abortion doula is that it's, um, it's not like a certified pre- like profession or anything, right? Like it's about us like developing these skills together. And so, um, and so, yeah, so if you're like in a place that doesn't have a collective, definitely reach out to places like DC Doulas Collective because we will give you like what we've been doing, like our best practices, help you out. Um, that's literally how all of these collectives have formed. It's been like, how do you guys do it? Like, how can we do it over here? Um, so we're really in the practice of supporting other people, like see their own collectives too. Michelle, thank you so much again. Again, I'm just holding so much gratitude for you and I can't wait to release this out into the world. So just thank you. Yes, thank you for making this such a comfortable space. This is my first podcast interview. I was hella nervous, but um, (laughs) you're you're great. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Loam Listen. Again, I'm your host, Amiria Freeman, and this episode was edited by Isaac Selk with music provided by Isaac Selk. If you liked what you heard, please rate this episode, maybe leave a comment, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss more yummy content. Also, share this episode with someone you love and maybe explore other episodes you haven't heard just yet. Until next time.